Sasha Thompson is a respected and certified DEI coach. For the next 30 minutes, we'll get an exclusive look at some of her conversations with others in the field. Welcome to DEI After Five. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DEI After Five. Today's conversation is going to be one that you are going to be happy that you have um, logged in to be a part of. And so um, today we're going to be talking to Jarrett Carroll, who is a consultant and an anti-racism author. So Jarrett, I want to just thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Sasha. It's uh, <laughs> always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, whatever the format and occasion is, I always appreciate it. So thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, we're we're going to just dive right in because, you know, we've Let's had several conversations and whew, I don't like where do we start? Where do we start? You know, well, first of all, how did you get into this work? Gosh, how did I get into this work? So I like to say that if the if the world was equitable, I wouldn't even be alive. Mm. And I know that's a, a, you know, a strong opening statement. But what I mean by that is uh, my father was a gay man. But in the late 60s, early 70s, when he was, you know, in college, kind of coming into his own, uh, he couldn't, he didn't feel safe to come out uh, to the world. Um, homosexuality was still pathologized. It was, it was criminal in some states, et cetera, et cetera. So he married uh, a, a woman who ended up being my mom, had a kid, me, right? I was born in 1973. And then, you know, things as we, as we got, uh, you know, a little bit further historically, things opened up a little bit for him where he felt safe to come out. And, you know, he came out as a gay man, my parents divorced, et cetera. So there's so much more to the story, obviously. Those are just, those are the circumstances of my birth. But really, I like to say that, you know, it took me many years to kind of even understand that context of, of mm. what I was born into. But now that I know it, and I've known it for 20 plus years, um, that kind of just, that's like just one example of the type of, of context that we're living in, whether it's uh, sexual orientation, race, gender, so many different uh, marginalizations that, that people face that when my dad died, he was, uh, he was HIV positive. He died of AIDS in 2000. I was 27. I hadn't really started doing the work, um, but I'd been exposed to enough of it through my dad and through, you know, just maturity and stuff. And then when he died, I said, you know what? I don't want to be that guy anymore. That guy who doesn't care, doesn't know, doesn't, isn't interested, et cetera. I want to be this guy. And when I say this guy, I want to be the, the guy who does get it, who does care, who does uh, work for change, does work for equity, does work for justice. And so it's been a journey almost 20, you know, 21 and a half years of, of doing the work as, as a teacher for, for many years. And, and now more recently as a, as a speaker, as a facilitator, as a coach, um, et cetera. So that's the, that's the snapshot. That's the, uh, the two minute uh, version of, of, of why. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into more of the details as we continue to talk. Yeah. You know, I, I always appreciate hearing that story from you because, you know, when I do this work, I often share with colleagues or, you know, folks that I'm consulting for the diversity iceberg. And mm -hmm. it's like, what is below the surface that shapes how you see and operate in the world that nobody would know unless they had a conversation with you. And so I'm always reminded of that because, you know, you have, you know, white guys. 
layers that are a part of that that make you who you are. And so how did you now go from kind of LGBTQ plus rights and other aspects of diversity into racism? Because that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. Um, gosh, you know what it was, Sasha, is it was a it was a realization that I was missing out on on humanity, my own. Mm. It started with my dad, right? It was very personal. Um, so a little more of the backstory is that uh you know, my dad didn't actually tell me he was gay until I was 14, almost 15. I was a freshman in high school. So imagine, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I'm growing up with a single, you know, single mom, parents divorced. Dad lives in San Francisco. I, you know, I grew up in San Diego. You know, not too uncommon to have divorced mm -hmm. parents, right? So I go up and I, you know, I didn't know. I just, he was my dad and he lived far away and I got to see him four, five, six times a year. Um, and so then when he told me, it was this like embarrassment, this confusion, this shame, right? This is the late 80s. Reagan's still president. There's still a lot of stigma. Mm. Um, and so then as I, you know, as I, as I grew up and, and, and became more comfortable with it, uh, it was like, wow, like look at all the things I'm missing out on. And, it, and I know that sounds almost selfish, but it is, it was about me in a little bit, but about me so that I could be, um, uh, in community with different people that that I had up to that point not been familiar with, not interested, not uh, didn't know anything about uh, different different people from different backgrounds, and so I realized that yes, my initial kind of start was you know the LGBTQ community and learning and growing and sympathizing and empathizing with with that community and, and becoming more active in support of and, and advocacy mm -hmm. for that community, and then it's just as I kept part of my journey. Uh, and this is like early 2000s, right? Part of my journey was just reading and listening and watching, going to events and immersing and meeting new people. And I started to realize that um, while each group kind of has their own histories of you know, marginalization and, and oppression, that there are similarities in that uh, they're seen as less than, that they're dehumanized. And so as I started to meet more people, like actually actual people in colleagues, friends, you go to events, whatever you meet people. It's like, whoa, like, what do I not know about people? What do I not know about black people? What do I not know about, you know, Asian people? Cause I just had no relationships for 20 plus years of my life. Mm -hmm. And so it really became about this kind of wanting to, um, to connect with more and more people and, and, and share our, share our, our humanity together. And so that was coupled with this continuous learning and growing and reading. And, and of course the work I was doing as well. And so it really became about, you know, relationships. And so, um, so again, that's kind of the, the, the short, you know, 25 year history of how, of how I came to it, but it's really based in just, I feel pretty comfortable, although it's the learning still, you know, always happening, but I feel pretty comfortable that I understand, uh, you know, social injustice and why and how it, it happens and how it impacts and affects different groups and intersectional, you know, intersectional groups as well. And so, yeah, more recently, the last couple of years, I just started writing um, about race and racism on LinkedIn, uh, even before, you know, this spring and summer of 2020. And then when that shitstorm came, uh, it just was like, okay, let's keep going. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, here we are, you know, almost two years later and it's, 
unfortunately still highly relevant to be talking yeah. about and writing about and trying to figure out how to make change uh, in this in these contexts. Yeah, you know, I, I had a conversation and I've been having this ongoing conversation with a couple of people lately um, around this work and especially everything that has happened post the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, all you know, that time period. And it was how the question that, that was um, given to this group was, you know, how does white supremacy show up? in the work that we do as DEI consultants. And it took me a while to kind of figure it out. And what clicked for me probably about two weeks ago wow. was, you know, it's one thing to have conversations and, and build awareness. It's another thing to actively try to dismantle systems that are inequitable. And as I talk to particularly my white male colleagues that are cisgendered, you know, kind of the epitome of privilege, um, and I'm putting kind of air quotes on that because, again, of the layers, um, you know, if you're living the good life, why would you want to dismantle that? Why would you want to take that away? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I've been struggling with some people, right, that I've been working with because I'm like, we're doing this awareness thing, which is great, but and what? Like, yeah. how are we dismantling the systems within these organizations? Yeah, super, super insightful, Sasha. And I think it's a yes and. I think it's a both and. Mm. Because, I mean, I, I know, you know, you're, you're an equity practitioner, so you're familiar with all the language and the context. Like, you're familiar, I'm sure, with, you know, action bias, right? So many people, especially that that prototype you mentioned, you know, white, cisgender, male, privilege, you know, usually more senior in the company, a lot of uh, influence and authority and power to, you know, to make change or not, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes like, all right, tell me what to do, Sasha. All right, I'll do this, boom, you go do it. And then it's like, okay, we're done. It's like, no, like you did one thing, maybe you did two things. Thank you. Awesome. Where's the ongoing reflection, the ongoing change, the ongoing commitment? So I think, yeah. you know, like my my book is called A White Guy Confronting Racism. And the subtitle is very intentionally called An Invitation to Reflect and Act. So I 100% agree with you that the action has to happen and it can't happen without the ongoing reflection or else it's going to be limited and, and um, you know, it's going to just it's, it's not going to be as impactful. So how do we build that um, that stamina as people talk, you know, like uh, Dana Brownlee talks a lot about that in her writing, right? Like how do we build that racial stamina around, yeah. okay, this is something for me as a white cisgender straight man who I do have the privilege of coming in and out of the conversations, coming in and out of the action. How do I, how do I and how do you and how do people do in this work? How do we get people to, to have more of a stake in the long game, mm -hmm. this, and, and this goes back to what I was saying about my kind of journey, like, in, it, 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 I think a lot of white people in senior positions, especially, or maybe, maybe not even in senior positions, but just people, they don't think it impacts them. Yeah. Right. White people, we don't, we don't think it impacts us. We think it's like, oh, it's about you. Yeah. And, and it is, and I'm not saying racism's impacted me the same way it has you or any other, you know, obviously there are differences, but it impacts all of us, mm -hmm. right? 
and how do we each, you know, given our racial background and so many other factors, how do we be relevant in the conversation so that, to your point, we take the ongoing, consistent, constant actions that are going to drive change? Yeah. And what you just said just kind of clicked for me. I'm having all these aha moments this week. <laughs> Must be my green tea or something. Um, is it's it's layers, right? There's layers to this shit, right? Like there's just layers to it. And it's it's the individual, but it's also how does that individual impact the organization? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just kind of like one checklist. But then it, again, it's cyclical. It's okay, and then how do I reflect on that? So it, it goes back and forth between individual and organization. And it's not it's not a checkbox. It's ongoing constant work that has to be um guided to some degree, but there has to be some accountability built in as well, too. Exactly. I'm so glad you bring that up. I'm I'm literally halfway through an engagement with a client, a big tech client, and I'm working with their uh how do you describe them? They're they're about 10 of them. They're all white, I think. Uh, there might be a couple non-white folks, but they're and they're responsible for onboarding new employees into the organization. So they're kind of like an L and D kind mm. of emphasis, right? So they do welcome to the organization. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. And they have some trainings, but but it, and they have a little bit of DNI stuff, but not really. So they invited me in, and I'm facilitating a series of four conversations with them about a week apart. Um, we've done two. We're doing two more um, the next couple of weeks. And then afterwards, it's going to be one-on-one coaching. Mm-hmm. And in between the sessions, their, their assignments, their reflections, their, hey, come back next week with, you know, thinking about X, Y, Z, we're going to talk about it. And what I'm noticing, or what the way it was designed, the way I designed it was the first session was, how do we show up? Mm-hmm. Right? It was, how do we show up? Before we get into, like, dimensions of diversity and bias and microaggressions and, you know, privilege. Like, yes, we're going to cover all that stuff. And and we've started to in our sessions, but I wanted to anchor that. Like, how do you show up? How are people seeing you? These new, you know, new people into the organization, most of them new in their career, they're eager, they're excited, you know, and if they're from, you know, different backgrounds than you, are you, uh, are you recognizing that and are you appreciating that? And are you, um, are you supporting that? So if I'm a first year, you know, first, uh, first generation, you know, person of color coming into my first tech job, you know, first generation college graduate, like that's not the same as a, a white person who's, you know, three, three generations of, of, you know, of, of corporate, work and kind of used to this right like yeah they both are still new in their career and they have a lot to learn but they're different so like how do you show up for that and how do you center empathy and curiosity and um you know humility equanimity these types of things yeah and there's also assumptions built into that right because i'm working with a client now and i'm talking to all of the people of color on this particular team and i have come to discover that one person um appears presents as asian but in speaking to her, she was adopted by, um, I, uh, I want to say Irish or Scottish family mm-hmm. as a child. So that's her background. That's what she knows. That's the culture that she's aware of. But she's because she's Asian presenting, um, people that are on the team were assuming that there would be a connection. And there's not. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it's those types of things that, you know, how do you show up and your your lens, right? That lens mm -hmm. that you see the world again, shaped by those things below the surface is the above, but it's also below um, can impact those relationships. Totally. And, you know, to bring it back to what how you frame this part of our conversation, mm -hmm. like the personal and the, and the organizational, what I'm helping this group realize they have a certain they're not like, you know, most senior, but in their sphere of impact and their influence of what they do in the organization, like they're leaders, like they're the uh -huh. leadership team. They're maybe not the most senior people in the organization, but in their day to day, week to week, who they're like, they are the, they're the bomb. They're the people. Right. Uh -huh. And so how does that group of eight, nine, 10 people set the tone, the vibe, how do they influence above them when they do need to, you know, make changes or, or suggestions, policy, programmatic, et cetera. And how do they individually, right, uh, and collectively, right, as a group, mm -hmm. impact organizationally? So it's a it's a both end. It's a yes and, yeah. right? Like the organization, you know, the the protocols, the processes, the the norms, the habits, you know, the biases. Like those are all uh, those are all affected by individual choices. Uh, actions, behaviors, you know, et cetera. So that's what I'm trying to instill in this group. Like you do, you have a lot of power. You're, you're seen as leaders by these mm -hmm. younger people coming in. So yes, you have a certain part of your job is to teach and coach and, and, you know, support. So you have to have, but that can be done, you know, like you hear servant leadership, you hear all these things, like, how do you do that while also being vulnerable and accessible and open um, to, mm -hmm to learning about and understanding. And then so you can support these differences that, that as you say, like maybe, you know, most likely are below the iceberg. They're mm -hmm. not going to, you know, a 24 year old, you know, person isn't going to come in and just be like, yeah, here's everything about me. Now I'm comfortable doing that right. <laughs> as, we, as we started the show, right? Hey, I'll tell you everything about everything about me, you know, but um, so anyway, so it's, it's, change happens in relationships, I always say. And it's, it's, uh, until, until I see it doesn't, I'm just going to go with that. Right. That's how it works. Right. It does. Right. Because if you make a personal connection, and I think that's what I've found too, is you start to shift mindsets once you feel some type of connection to it. Right. And it mm -hmm. goes beyond empathy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I remember being in a session which was pretty, I don't want to say hostile, but you could definitely tell folks were like, we're just going to sit in this thing until it's over. And we're going to be done. <laughs> and because um, it was like this very checkbox, like I got to go, I have work to do. Um, and there was this one man that was particularly just agitated about, you know, having to be in this session and wanting to just get back to work because none of this, you know, all of it was crap and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about privilege, mm -hmm. which of course, starts to stir all kinds of craziness. And what clicked was I didn't use race or gender as the example. I used disability. Mm. And I said, I'll go into a building. I don't have to think about if there's an elevator. I don't have to think about, you know, stairs or, or doorways big enough for me to get through. I don't have to think about those things because I am at this moment in time able-bodied. Mm -hmm. And that's what clicked for him because his wife is in a wheelchair yeah. and they went to Disney and he was just like the things that we have to think about just in order for her to have a good time 
um, is very different than anybody else that goes. And it was him making that connection to his wife and that experience that opened up that entire conversation. Yeah. So, so powerful, Sasha, and so relevant. And I mean, a couple, so many things just came to mind as you were sharing that story. One, like that supports what I was saying earlier. Like we have to, each of us have to make it personal. Yeah. And so like that story of this guy who thinks all this is BS and what are we doing? This is a waste of my time. I've got other stuff to do. This doesn't impact me. It's like, no, it, it does. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's because of his wife in a wheelchair. But what is each other person's story? There's exactly. Everyone's got something. And so that's one of the main reasons why I center storytelling in my work, whether it's one-on-one, in my speaking, you know, in my own, you know, my own kind of uh, vulnerability and sharing, sharing my eyes, like, here's my story and here's why I care. What's yours? What's your story? Why do you care? Because I think a lot of the disconnect is, especially with, with, with white folks who are newly interested and genuinely interested in doing something and changing in action. They, we, we think often that it's like, just, this goes back to kind of the action, you know, bias, right? Like, tell me what to do. I'm going to go and I'm just going to go and do it. Just, you know, bull in a China shop and just, yeah. you know, just, and it's like, no, like it's gotta be personal to you or else it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing with privilege, it's interesting. I do a lot of, I actually work full-time for a company called Translator and we do DEI analytics uh, and, and training. And in fact, you, I think you'd be really interested in it, Sasha. We should, we should talk about we'll talk. it. Uh, yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> but um, one of our core experiences, um, we, we center privilege as the, as the main entry point into the conversation, into the curriculum. And we say that privilege is the opposite of oppression. Mm-hmm. And so when you have more privilege, it takes less energy to move through the world, to navigate yeah. uh, your day. Right, yeah. your your job, your relationships, just the the world, and you know we'll use like a race analogy, right? Like you know if, if or you know it's like the difference between equity and equality, right? If say we're all going to run a marathon, and I say, all right, well we're all going to run a marathon. There are fifty of us. Here you go. Everyone gets Nike size ten shoes. Mm-hmm. Right, that's equal, right? Hey, I provided everyone shoes. <laughs> it's not going to work if you aren't a size ten. If you don't, if Nikes don't fit your sh- feet. Uh, mm-hmm. what, if, what if you need, what if you can't be in the sun for more than three hours like me without getting burned? Do I get sunscreen or is that, is that, you know, is that extra, extra right? Mm-hmm. Like do what, what else do I need? Do I need the little goo packets or can I run for four hours with no problem? Right. So it's like this equity thing that I think some people are slow to appreciate and understand and see how it benefits uh, some people at the expense of other people. Right. And yeah. You know what's the line like uh, uh, when you're used to privilege, equity feels like oppression. Oppression, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're dealing with a lot of that these days, and it sounds like your story kind of is an example of that. Yeah, you know, and it's it's just um, again having the conversations so that people have those aha moments of like, yes, okay, this is this is the connection. This is why this should be important to me. Um, And not necessarily from the mindset of what am I going to lose in the process? It's like, what is the world going to gain in this process? The expandable pie. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Expandable pie. (laughs) So you just reminded me of one of my next questions is, you know, we, 
and we've talked about this, like this work is difficult. Um, it can be draining it sometimes. It can mm -hmm. be um, frustrating. It can also be very rewarding. And, you know, as you do this work and as you continue to have these conversations, um, you know, and you've written a book about these things, you're putting a lot out, right? You're, yeah. you're just, you're giving a lot. And so I often ask my guests the question of, you know, what do you do to fill your cup? Like, how do you, <laughs> what do you do to kind of revitalize and, and stay fresh um, yeah. to continue moving forward? Yeah, great questions. Um, so there's foundational stuff and then there's kind of, um, I don't, I don't want to say reactionary, but like in the moment stuff. Mm -hmm. So the foundational stuff is, is mindfulness. So mm -hmm. uh, meditating every morning, focusing on breathing, gratitude, meditations, um, striving for a state of equanimity, recognizing that uh, there's a difference between passion and purpose. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between discernment and judgment um, so having this, you know, not getting attached to my opinions, being invested in and committed to outcomes, but not being attached to outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So just kind of some foundational stuff that helps me stay stay committed to the work and, and relevant, but not where I burn out. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's kind of core, just just ongoing, like preparing for the inevitable stuff. That you the, the inevitable unpredictable stuff that you know is going to happen but you don't know what it is so you have to be preparing for it ahead of time so when it comes to like oh i can handle this i'm good yeah. right and then i think kind of ongoingly um you know family i've got uh, twins they'll be 13 on wednesday so you know they're 12.99 year olds i guess right now <laughs> I got some 14 year olds too. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, you know, music, I play in a band, I play, uh, play, uh, in a reggae band. So we actually just booked a whole bunch of gigs for the spring and summer. So that's exciting. So there's that release and just, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm a big reader. So I, I, I know what I need to do to sustain my, um, mental health on a day-to-day week-to-week basis. And I'm pretty good about, I'm getting better at recognizing what is realistically in my bandwidth on a week to week or month to month, you know, with opportunities, you know, speaking opportunities, facilitating, like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. I can't fit all this in. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's tough because we want to be part of the conversation. We want to be relevant. We want to, you know, drive impact and affect change and, and support and, you know, but recognizing that I have to say no to some things. Um, and I'm, as I said, I'm getting better at that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's realizing you can't be the end all be all for everyone. Like you have to know what works for you. And I think, yeah. and we've done this, right. It's like, Hey, this thing came across my desk. It's not for me, but would you be interested? You know? And I think that's, that's what we need to continue doing. Well, totally. And, and, you know, I wrote a post just uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago on the four agreements, which is Don Miguel Ruiz. And, you know, it's it's kind of pop, you know, spirituality. Right. But it's it's so simple. And one of the agreements is don't take anything personally. Mm -hmm. And so I'm even like me and you. Right. Like we a couple we were exploring trying to do something together and it didn't happen. Not because of anything personal. It just didn't happen. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, that's Sasha. Like she doesn't like me or she. It's like, no, it's like 
hey, we, you know, we're coming together when we're coming together. And um, if, if someone wants to explore something with me, like, and it seems like a good potential fit, like, yeah, let's talk about it. And if it happens, awesome. And if right. it doesn't, having had the conversations and the exploration and building that relationship in, in many ways is just as important. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Jared, where can folks find you? if they wanted to reach out yeah so i'm really active on linkedin so uh just there's probably some complicated url but you know whatever the linkedin just search for me jared carroll k-a-r-o-l uh you can find me at my website uh jaredcarroll.com uh again j-a-r-e-d-k-a-r-o-l there it is um and then my book well, you can find links to the book there as well but also speaking and facilitating and coaching um and then the book website is a white guy confronting racism.com slash book. And there I've put links to obviously, you know, the Amazons and Barnes and Noble and bookshop, but also um, really wanted to support black owned businesses. So I've put maybe three or four links to different black owned bookstores um, that you can find the book there as well. And a little bit on Instagram, not super active, but you can follow me there at a white guy confronting racism. And um you know, reach out anytime. I'm always happy to have conversations with people who are interested in having conversations about this work. Thank you. Jared. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, I, I always just love the conversations that we have because we were just like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we always are in alignment. So I appreciate uh, that, that um, part of our relationship. So thank you so much you for too. being here. And thank you all for watching this um, episode of DEI After Five, please be sure to subscribe um, so that you can get alerts when the next episode comes out. They come out every Tuesday at 5.15 and we will see you next time. Have a good one. Yeah.